uh, one of my best friends from the men's group told me, he said, hey, you're moving to Noonan. You know, got a guy that used to go here, used to go to St. Mark with us. And, you know, he's a great guy. I need to put you all in contact. And Gary and I went to lunch a few times and uh, tried out Arbor Springs. And we ended up going to a different church uh, here in town for about a year, year and a half. And some things didn't work out. And uh, so we found her, we got back in touch with Gary. He's like, hey, man, you know, let me, let me come back and started attending in Palmetto for a little while right before we transitioned here and like I said we joined last year. I've often struggled with the term testimony and, and giving a testimony. It seems like ever since I graduated college, you know, with the fact that I do have this on my hand, a lot of people and I'm active in church and active in FCA, folks say, Oh, I want you to come and, and give your testimony. Well, I've struggled with that because I've never I was never really a kid that ventured way off. I never really you know, straight a long way away. You know, I was, I was saved as a, a young kid, 10, 11 years old at a youth camp and then got baptized. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, in a small town in Coker, Alabama, and got baptized there. And the youth minister was hugely, you know, important in my life and guided me. And he was a part of my life to the point he actually sang at our wedding uh, when we got married in Tuscaloosa. And so I never really really straight from that and so right after graduation I was, and folks kept starting to ask me I'm like I, I don't really know and so I started getting deeper involved with my faith at that time I, I started going to the Sons of Thunder group uh, with Tamlin's dad he and I developed a very strong relationship and really getting involved with Sons of Thunder and learning so much more about Christ where I already thought I knew it uh, I didn't I didn't know as much as, as I should have and as much as I do now although I know I'm still growing and learning every day, but what I didn't, what I wasn't given credit to is all the ways and things that God had blessed me throughout my life to keep me from having one of those types of testimonies. And the way that, you know, no, my, my life hasn't been perfect, my life hasn't been easy, but I can look back now and say it was like that because God's hand was on it at all times. I was raised, like I said, in, in Tuscaloosa by my mom and my grandmother. Uh, I'm my only child to a single parent. Uh, my father left when you know I was very young. Had a little bit to do with him uh, among my, my early years and until it got to the point that uh, every time I would spend time with him, I would end up having to go to the doctor when my mom would pick me back up because I would have ringworms or you know I have scars from cigarette burns and stuff uh, from him and different things that that I finally was able to get away from that situation and only be raised by my mom and my grandmother. We lived next door to my grandparents. My whole life, my mom still lives in that same house. And my grandfather actually, uh, he, was, he passed away. He was killed in a car accident in November of 1998. It was actually, uh, that's the last, his funeral was the last time I physically had a face-to-face -face conversation with my earthly father, because uh, he did show up to that. But so, with that, being an only child, a single mom, she was working two jobs all the time. She was at work all the time. My grandmother worked. My grandmother was really my, my spiritual leader. She's one that took me to church all the time, made me go to youth events, and made me get involved with Paul, the youth minister, and, and he really got involved with my life. And then my grandmother, when I was 14, 13, uh, she got diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer. And so she was not able to do you know, very quickly going through all of her treatments, uh, she was not able to do a lot of the things uh, that she was doing. At that point, they, they told her she had you know, four or five months left to live. 
and by the blessings of God and, and her faith and her strength, uh, she actually uh, lived another two years until I was 16, and then she passed away. But so with all of that, I, I was forced to grow up really quick, really early, uh, really young. You know, I, I've started having a little odd and end jobs, you know, at the time I was 14. And so I was, I was working, I was trying to play athletics, uh, I was playing baseball, I was doing football, obviously, and then I was also, uh, I did karate for a while too, but, uh, but I, was, I was forced to, to have to grow up. And, you know, my, my mom, like I said, she was very strict on me. She was all about uh, grades and schoolwork, and, you know, she wanted me to have a better life as I got older than she had. You know, like I said, she's constantly working. She's not a college-educated lady uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but, but she's the strongest lady I know. Uh, and so she, she definitely molded me as, as much as she could her and my grandmother into being focused and the mindset that I had going into athletics to where when I started developing into a stronger and better athlete, that was able to transition, that mindset was able to transition to the field. Uh, like I said, my grandmother passed away when I was 16. I really kind of, uh, it, it hit me really hard. You know, like I said, my, my mom worked so much and my grandmother was was the one that was there with me and it, it hit me hard. I, I had to constantly, I, that is one spot I can look back on my life and see where God really did have his hand on me because a lot of situations when you, you hear about kids like that, that's when they venture off into other paths. Um, but God bless me and, and I, I leaned into football and I leaned into my youth group and my youth pastor at the time and, and just really started to, to understand that you know, it was easy to question God in that situation, okay, why why am I here with no father? Why am I here with, you know, really just my mom? And why is she struggling so much? And and it, it was difficult as a 16-year-old kid trying to understand all that and trying to be a high school high schooler and trying to be an athlete and trying to work to help my mom with bills and uh, try to help take care of myself as much as I could. And <clears throat> I said, it just forced me to grow up and my, my church really helped. Shortly after... My grandmother passed probably, she passed in August, that following May is when Tamlin and I met. And I can really say that has had a huge impact on my life. Uh, Tamlin and her family have always been very involved with their church. Uh, her entire family accepted me immediately uh, to the point that, you know, like I mentioned, her dad and I have a very strong relationship. Uh, he really helped fill, fill a void in my life and, and helped uh, help guide and shape me for a long time and we still are, are great today when I got to college it, it was time to make a selection it you know staying at Alabama as a football player wasn't that easy you know a lot of people even I had a conversation this week at work uh, we had some folks some third-party contractors in and we were talking about football and all and, and one of the guys that actually works uh, with me he said well forgive me Georgia Tech fans, but my, my boss is a Georgia Tech fan, and we were kind of kind of throwing a little shade back and forth at each other, but uh, he said, well, it's, it's not like, he said, folks that go to Georgia Tech have to want to go to Georgia Tech. He said, it's not like Allen going to Alabama just because they win all the time. I was like, no, 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 hold on. So, because when I, when I went to Alabama, my senior year of high school, when I was going through recruiting and all that, and uh, 
hadn't 100% decided on Alabama yet. You know, that was Saban's first year. They went seven and six. They lost to Louisiana Monroe. You know, it was not the dynasty that, that Alabama has built since then. And so it, it was not a decision of, oh, let me go to Alabama just so I can win a ring. It was, I wanted to go to Alabama because one thing, my best friend, all through church, all growing up from this bit, well, he was like this. Uh, he's 6'6", 330 pounds. He's a big boy. Uh, yeah, he's my best friend all through life. He had, he was recruited all over, and um, he committed and signed early with Alabama. And, and he's like, man, just stay here with me, and, and let's go, and, and stay close to mom. And <coughs> Excuse me. Stay close to mom, stay close to Tamlin, and, and, and we'll do something good. And I'm like, yeah, but uh, I, I didn't mention this either. My mom, being a single mom in Tuscaloosa, she was also an Auburn fan. And so she, she raised me to be an Auburn fan. So really, as I got into my junior year of high school, I was still an Auburn fan and um, really trying to figure out what I was going to do. And Auburn never gave me a look, never gave me an opportunity to play. And uh, I was like, man, do I really want to flip completely to go to Alabama or do I want to go somewhere else? And I knew the, the type of athlete I was. I, I knew I wasn't going to walk in and be a starter. I, I knew I wasn't uh, going to be a regular contributor uh, on Saturdays. And I was like, so I can go to a smaller school where, yeah, probably I, I can play a lot and, and be a big player. Or I, I can go here, stay close to family, get a good education, and maybe we can, we can do something good with it. And uh, I said, going through my senior year, as we were getting closer to the time and to make a decision, <coughs> you know, talking with John Michael, and we, we kind of started seeing a pattern of a lot of the guys that was in my signing class, you know, you, uh, Julio Jones, Mark Ingram, Marcel Darius, Terrence Cody, Dante Hightower, a lot of these guys that are still in the league today making great strides in the league, you know, they were phenomenal college players too. You know, all those guys are coming in, and, and I'm like, well, let's let's see what we can do. And so obviously, I, I, I stayed with Alabama, and it, it worked out pretty well. Uh, we went on a 20. I think, see, my whole career, I was 56 and four. Uh, there's there's only one team in the nation that I have a losing record against, and that's the University of Utah. Um, 0 and 1 against them. And then South Carolina, I'm one and one against. Every other team I have a winning record against across my career. Every other team I played against. You know, all through football, I, I still, I stayed connected with the church. I, I stayed, you know, Tamlin's two years younger than I am. So as I was really starting in college, she was still in high school. So I was still going to Wednesday nights with her and going to youth group and, and really staying involved and also doing the FCA stuff with school. And, and really just staying connected with my faith and, and trying to understand more about God. And then I was also very blessed with injuries. You know, uh, I never had in the, the worst injury. I had I had concussion here and there, but uh, I broke my sternum my senior year. But that's still that was the most severe injury I had. I missed one practice. I was kind of disappointed in that. But uh, everything else, you know, I, God really blessed me and kept me safe throughout my career. And not everybody can say that. Not all players can say that. <coughs> One of the things about Coach Saban, folks always ask me, you know, what, what's Coach like? You know, Coach Saban's big thing is, is not just football players. He wants to take kids that walk on campus, and he wants them, when they graduate, to be great men. He wants us to be productive in society. He wants us 
to have great families. He wants us to be like I said, better men when we leave campus than the kids we showed up to campus as. And he teaches through five words that really have translated. It, it obviously affected us as a football team. We all bought into it and had great success. But it translates into my business life. It translates into my Christian walk. And that's commitment. Be committed to what you're going to do. Discipline. Doing the right things even when folks aren't watching. Toughness. Obviously, you, you have to have the mental toughness and physical toughness to be successful really at anything. Effort. You have to put in the effort to get what you want out of it and pride. If you don't have pride in what you're doing, you're doing the wrong thing. Uh, you need to find something else uh, because you have to be prideful in, in your walk. You have to be prideful in your business, in your life. Uh, you have to care about it. And I, over the last few weeks, I thought it was pretty interesting that Craig's sermon series has been practice makes permanent. <coughs> Another thing that Coach Saban was always adamant about, which is basically along the same lines, is don't don't practice until you get it right. Practice until you can't get it wrong. And that's the way he always instilled with us. You know, we would complain all the time. Man, we've been out here four hours, coach, and you're making us restart this drill. But it was because he wanted to instill in us muscle memory. You know, when you see a linebacker shifting this way, you know that he's sliding that way. You know there's a corner coming. Different things like that. It's just muscle memory when you're on the field so that way you just act. You don't react. And that translates to, to our life and to our walk. You know, you have to, to practice your word. You have to practice what you're preaching. You have to practice what's being preached to you. And just make it to where it's muscle memory. Make it to where your walk with Christ is just muscle memory. <coughs> Sorry, I don't know why I keep getting choked up. But. Where it's just straight muscle memory where you're constantly uh, thinking about, okay, how should I act in this situation? What... What does my Bible say about this situation? How should I react? You know, how should I carry myself? <clears throat> you know, that to me that, that stemmed from athletics, but it has translated into my business life and my personal life with my walk with Christ. You know, through football, uh, God gave me a platform to speak. You know, there's, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be doing events like this or I wouldn't be speaking at FCAs all around the county if I didn't have this on my hand. And that's the platform that God has given me. The abilities that God gives us, that, that's his gift to us. But what we do with those abilities, what we do with our platform, how we speak, how we carry ourselves, that's our gift back to him. That's, that's the way we can glorify him and, and to give our praise back to him. That's our blessing or that's our gift back to him for the blessings that he give us. So to finish up, I, I encourage everyone to understand that no matter the situation or circumstance that you're in, you're not in it alone. God's right there with you. God's helping you. And even, you know, like I said, I, I struggle with the word testimony because I, I look back and as I was going through stuff, it was all about me, it was all about I. But it's so easy to do that in the moment. But if you focus on everything and understand that God is right there with you, God is helping you through every situation, God will be your right-hand man, and he'll help you through everything. Thank you.
thrive, but you didn't come to this place alone. You will fight, but this war isn't yours to independently wage. Because this, my friends, this is shoulder to shoulder. You are family. You are brothers. You are warriors. And before you lies a victory that's more than worth your life of sacrificial preparation. A victory that can only be won by standing shoulder to shoulder. Hey friends, welcome to Football Sunday 2020. I'm Brock Heward, and in a few hours, the largest single game sporting event of the year will be played in Miami. I love this day because it's so great for the players, the fans, and everyone in your church community. Since my own NFL playing days ended in 2004, I've been covering college and NFL games as an analyst ever since. And one thing I've always paid attention to over the years are the rule changes at the pro level, many of which keep players from getting hurt. And this year, the league implemented a number of player safety rules, including one, eliminating a shoulder-to-shoulder two-man double-team block. In layman's terms, no longer can two teammates on a kickoff stand shoulder-to-shoulder holding hands and double-team another player. And if a player or two does that in today's game, well, their team will be penalized. But those very same players will be rewarded today if they stand shoulder-to-shoulder. One's a penalty, the other's a reward. And make no mistake, these guys must stand shoulder to shoulder because that's their only path to victory. And we all get to see it unfold. So wherever you watch the game and whoever you're with, I hope you have a great and memorable experience. Welcome to Football Sunday 2020. look for the pinnacle of you know championships and obviously in football it's the Super Bowl it's surreal um, being in this moment being here I mean it's what you work for all offseason and all year long and especially with this group of guys and the coaches they're a special group there's nothing higher really than this when it comes to football and so to reach that level and to know that you're one of the last two teams in that game it's really cool man when you really start to break it down for what it is you can help but get excited so yeah it's, full, it's really cool I mean, there's no other example that I can say that makes me happier than I get to go to the Super Bowl. Grew up my whole life a football fan, watching the Super Bowl. You always watch it on TV, you're like, man, that'd be really cool to be there someday. For professional athletes, that's always the goal. And to be on this team and, and to be able to actually achieve that goal and be here now, it's, it's a great feeling.
Our first story highlights Prince Samukamara, a cornerback for the Chicago Bears. After playing at Nebraska, Prince was drafted 19th overall in 2011 by the New York Giants. Prince is a great guy whose life came together when he began to understand the reality of God's grace. This is his story. My upbringing around faith and, and, and around religion, both of my parents really loved God and, and, and served God, but for some reason, one thing that I pulled from that was, was rules and obedience. And so I thought, okay, as long as I'm a good person, I'd be able to get into heaven. But it was working. Everyone thought, oh, Prince is the good kid. And, and, and that, was my, that was my reputation. Prince was a good guy. And to be honest, I kind of I liked it and, I, and I, took, I took pride in it also. When I got into high school and I had friends around me, so now they were my comparison. They were my standard. So as long as I'm not doing what they're doing, as long as I'm being better than them, in my eyes, then I'm still in right standing with God. At this camp, 500 kids. It's co-ed, boys and girls, about 12 different sports. There's college coaches there, so I'm thinking, okay, I'm here to showcase my talent and hopefully get on the radar to, to get a, a football scholarship. Each kid had um, their own group. In the group, we were doing Bible studies, and we would break break the huddle, and we, and we would do prayer. And one of the phrases we were saying was, like, for his glory, and I'm thinking, like, like for who, whose glory, like, who's his? I still was kind of on the fence, but they played a clip with uh, Christ with, with car carrying the cross and people whipping him and spitting at him and wearing the crown of thorns and blood is on his face. And I'm thinking like, wow, like he did this for me. So it wasn't until I got into college I met with the, the team chaplain, and he took me and a number of guys under his wings. We started to go through books, and he, he taught us the word. We, we studied the word, and we ended up spreading the word, share, sharing, sharing our testimony. High school stage, I was a believer. College is when I became a follower and when I started to walk and when I was able and learned how to give an account for what I believed in. There's nothing you can do to get God to love you more than he does right now or to get God to love you less. He like he wants a relationship with you. When Jesus was at the cross, like he knew that he was buying broken, prideful, selfish, sinful beings like us. And that should give us hope. The fact that a perfect God would want something so broken should tell us like how purposeful we are and how valuable we are. Seems like we can all find ourselves somewhere in Prince's story. Some of us are trying to live good lives, hoping that the good deeds will outweigh the bad ones and that God will take notice. Some of us have claimed the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, but we've stalled there. And some of us are following Jesus. So wherever you find yourself, the players today aren't the only ones who need to stand shoulder to shoulder. The life God intends for us is discovered when we stand shoulder to shoulder with Jesus himself, because he really is all we'll ever need.
I play football, and this is a very performance-based relationship that I'm in with this team. And the gospel says that we get to walk into a non-performance-based relationship. And here's Jesus saying, look, I came down. I did all the work for you. All you got to do is just receive it, abide in me. And even the days you slip up, I'm still here to catch you. He's a great father. You know, I've got three little kids, and showing them, you know, what it means to, to follow Jesus and to be the man in the household that I'm supposed to be, He's left the playbook behind for us to follow, and all we have to do is just listen and, and enjoy the ride that he's gonna put us on because he already knows the ending result. I think the biggest thing for me with Christianity and who God is, is is that it's based on his unconditional love and grace. I'm discovering God to be faithful and uh, to be a promise-keeping God. Galatians 6, 9, he says, never grow weary of doing good for in due time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. So many times the Christian life feels like you're just sowing good things, sowing good things, sowing good things. It's like, man, when am I gonna reap the harvest, right? In that time, you know, the devil's throwing all those bad thoughts in your head. He's saying, oh, God's not really good. God's not really fair. No, God is good. Even if my circumstances aren't good, God is still good. I think life is all about relationships and this relationship with Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. With Jesus, it's one of those things where no matter what I do, he's still, love me and that grace and it's always it's always enough Nate Solder is a Pro Bowl tackle who was drafted 17th overall in the 2011 draft he's earned two Super Bowl rings with the New England Patriots and he's made a living at protecting quarterbacks like Tom Brady Eli Manning and others Nate is married to Lexi and they have two wonderful children but when their first son Hudson was born a chain of events was set in motion that would literally change their world. But that's not all. This is their story. When we found out I was pregnant, I, he was at work, I think, and he um, wasn't home. I took a pregnancy test in the morning and it was positive. I put it in a like a jewelry box that I just have like laying around the house and like wrapped it up in something. And I was like, oh, I don't want to open this. I'm not into gifts. Like I don't want to, and, and, and she, she's like, no, no, you want to open this one. And it was the first pregnancy test and it was positive. And I was like, what do I do now? <laughs> I do remember having one freak out moment because uh, we have a cat and I was like, because I'm reading all these things about how cats can give diseases to pregnant women, all this stuff. So I'm like so nervous. So I'm in there vacuuming at three in the morning, vacuuming the whole, the kitty litter over the floor and like just going nuts. And I was like, I read my Bible. I tried calling people, but it's three in the morning. So I was like, I have no one to talk to. So she's like, Nate, why are you up at three in the morning vacuuming? I was like, I don't know. I'm so nervous. We were giving Hudson baths, and um, remember Nate said at one point, like, this feels weird. He has like a weird sort of lump on his left side. So we were friends with the pediatrician. Let's just text her. Let's text uh, Rachel and see what she says. So we go over her house, and, and she's feeling his lump on his left side and feeling sort of the right side of his belly. And, and she's like, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really worry about it. We'll keep an eye on it. She said, I want him to have an ultrasound today. So I was like, okay. I remember like getting in the shower and getting ready to go. And I was just like, started crying in the shower. Cause you just know, I mean, a mother's intuition, you just know it's not good. 
He was diagnosed with bilateral kidney tumors, which is really what, that is the basis of what we know. Um, his doctors have thrown around uh, Wilms tumor, which is pretty common. We were in the hospital for four or five days. It was just an onslaught of different medications, different types of options for how we could treat it. There was probably 10 different doctors who talked to us about it. His kidneys were, they said, were the size of pears at a three-month-old, when they're supposed to be the size of peanuts. So he was on chemotherapy for a full year. His kidneys um, shrunk tremendously. They looked like normal kidneys, but they always still had some spots in them. We were off for a year, and one of the spots started to grow again. So they thought the best course of action was to start chemotherapy again. They shrunk, and if they didn't shrink, they would not grow anymore. After a year of that, he still has tumors in his kidneys. But they're small, and they haven't grown very much. So that's kind of where we're at now. Who knows what we're going to do with that, and surgery might be down the line, or more treatment, or who knows. So, you know, we take it one day at a time. this sort of time in our lives where we felt like Hudson's situation was sort of stable and, and we started looking outward in ways that we could help or make an impact. I always say if, if Hudson was born in Uganda or Guatemala or Thailand or whatever with his condition, with his kidneys, he would, he would make it. Uh, we were able to find Compassion International. They introduced us to kind of some of the programs they did, some of the kids, and I think both Lexi and I were thinking we're going to do something big. good meal, they get evaluated, they get health records, and then they get Bible lessons, so they, they learn scripture and, and kind of, they, they act it out in the way that they treat each other. And then one of the biggest things is, too, they have access to school, so they're all their schools paid for, and they have access to medical care, so they can go to any hospital and they get all the medical care covered, too. You know, we have our NFL life, and we have our compassion commitments and, and then we have our our kids and our home life and and all are very different and unique and I think that middle section for us is Jesus and I think that's really what connects it all God's purposes are being done and it's happening and somehow he's made us a part of his uh, plan and it's led us down this path that we could have never fathomed I never thought that I would play as long as I have in the NFL I never could have imagined it as a kid I certainly never wished that my son had cancer, but then somehow we're sitting in Uganda and the people are cheering because we were able to create these centers. And so God's up to something amazing and it far exceeds anything I've ever done in football. It far exceeds anything I could do. The Solder family is in the middle of it again. The fear, the uncertainty, the prayers of desperation, and the sleepless nights of wondering. They're in a vulnerable place right now, and they need our prayers. But I also know the Solders well enough to know they won't give up. They'll continue telling their story and allowing it to push them into the world with a global vision of rescue in the name of Jesus. And they'll do it by standing shoulder to shoulder with an amazing organization they mentioned called Compassion International. 
We traveled to Guatemala with the soldiers last summer, and we learned there are 400 million children around the world who live in abject poverty. That's less than $1.90 a day. We've also learned that when we follow Jesus, we follow him into a world that needs saving and rescue. So what if you took your story and your resources, those two things, and you partner together with a Christ-centered ministry that's saving lives around the world? There's no doubt your church already has some great opportunities for you, or you can check out Compassion International online. There's a victory waiting to happen here, but it won't happen unless we're willing to stand shoulder to shoulder. brother having passed away and um, going to heaven, I think it's really, you know, put me and not only me, but my family to a whole nother level of faith and, and believing. Dove into the Bible more than I ever have just throughout throughout this process because it's really the only place that I can find some peace. And really just knowing and reading about heaven and because that's I, I know that's where my brother is and, and just knowing without a doubt in my mind that, that I will see him someday. And, and that really, really is the only thing that really kind of brings me some peace. I'm not going to the Father because every single time it's like, man, I need this, I want this. Like, I spend more time thanking and praying now um, because I'm just like, man, like I actually just get to be with you. And I know it doesn't even end on this side of eternity. I know that this gets to be forever. The first eight years of my career uh, was a starter pretty much the whole time. And then uh, last season I got benched this year, I got fired, rehired, fired again, and uh, spent the first five weeks of this season on my couch watching football unemployed. Got a phone call from my agents who, you know, the Chiefs contact my agents, and he said, hey, the Chiefs want you, let's go. Week 16, got a shot to start, played well. Played well week 17, and um, I'm still playing. You know, I started and played both playoff games, and I'm gonna start in the Super Bowl. It's, it's really God's showing off. It's, it's actually amazing. Since he was picked in the first round of the 2004 NFL Draft, Benjamin Watson has had a long career in the NFL. And while Benjamin and his wife, Kirsten, have experienced a lot of success, they've also experienced their share of challenges. Challenges filled with disappointment, hard questions, and loss. This is their story. possibly my last game. Uh, if we win, which hopefully we do, uh, there'll be another game after that, which will be in Atlanta for the Super Bowl. And on that Monday or Tuesday, I started getting pain in my stomach. The next day, I ended up going to uh, the hospital, got a couple CAT scans and gave me some medicine and uh, sent me home. Another doctor looked at my CAT scan and said, I think Benjamin has uh, acute appendicitis. You need to get him to the hospital right now. A dear friend named David um, came over to the hospital for me. My family was there and I woke up. That was the first night I slept the whole week. They released me from the hospital. I go back to the facility and, uh, you know, they tell me that, well, you weren't here the first two days of practice, Wednesday and Thursday, so the plan is for you not to play. Crushed. Because in my head, I had this awesome story of I had appendicitis, God healed me, came back in the NFC Championship, caught the winning touchdown. <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> it's going to be a Christian sensation. That's how my mom was rolling. decided to continue to play, then everything kind of shifts. Move the family across the country again. And so the kids are there, the guys are moving the boxes out. It's the memory of walking through the house when there's nothing in there with all the kids. Go to practice that week. I'm not activated that first week. Then the next week, things are kind of weird. Um, and I was released. I was cut. I, was, I, I, didn't, I wasn't good enough. We had five kids. And the question we always get is, are you done? And I just didn't have the yes. And then one night, I remember him saying, you know, let's, let's go for number six. Let's try. And so I felt like we had waited, we had been patient, um, and that we had both heard yes from the Lord. And so to go and, and then get pregnant immediately, I was like, we were supposed to have six. And so the last thing that ever crossed my mind is that we wouldn't have the baby. When it didn't work out, and we found out that we had lost the baby. I remember thinking, God, I thought I was doing what you said. You know, five kids is a lot. We said yes to six. We must have been wrong because surely God wouldn't allow that. And so we got pregnant again. And I said, well, maybe God really does want us to have this sixth baby. We were excited. We told the kids. And then something went wrong again. The baby's not growing and um, there's no heartbeat. I'm just trying to be obedient and I don't understand. And so this time was really rough and we try again in July and then I get pregnant. I look, I'm looking at the lady giving the ultrasound and she makes this weird face. And I say, is everything okay? She's like, yeah, I see something. And so I say, well, is it a baby? Do you see a baby? And she goes, I see two babies. I look over at Benjamin, I see him walking towards the TV screen with his mouth open. And then I look at the screen and I see two two babies and I say you didn't tell me you had twins in your family because I don't I was like I don't have any twins in my family I don't have twins
works all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And what is that good? That good is not necessarily what I think good is. It's always good, but it might not always be pleasant. Then to me says, if God loved you, wouldn't that be easy? And somewhere along the line, I've bought in that lie. Then I have to go back to truth, and I look in the Bible, and I don't see that anywhere. <laughs> His promises are that you are an overcomer, that I love you, that I'll never leave you or forsake you. His promises are that I will always provide for your needs according to riches and glory. The promises are that I love you so much that I sent my own son to die for you. His promises are that I've already written the book, so I know what's happening when you don't. His promises are eternal life. His promises are that I'll give you beauty for ashes. Many of you are in a season right now that doesn't feel pleasant at all. Your job, your close relationships, your health, or your finances are causing pain and disappointment. Some of you feel like you've done everything you're supposed to do, but the happy ending you're hoping for feels a million miles away. So what does standing shoulder to shoulder look like for you? Maybe God's invitation for you today is simply telling one person how hard this really is. Or maybe God's inviting you to stand shoulder to shoulder with believers throughout the ages, followers of Jesus who have stubbornly and faithfully chosen to believe in God's good promises, even while they live in their own uncertainty. Whatever the case, God is always offering us something far greater than the answers we seek. He's offering us his presence, a presence that's most often seen through others who have walked or who are currently walking the same journey. Shoulder to shoulder because we just can't do this alone and we were never meant to anyway. Maybe you're standing shoulder to shoulder today with Prince. You just made a decision to follow Jesus and all of heaven is celebrating. Get with someone and start walking this journey together. Maybe you're standing shoulder to shoulder with Nate and Lexi. You feel the need to take part in a rescue mission for the sake of children in developing countries. There is so much joy in getting involved. Or maybe you're standing shoulder to shoulder with the Watsons. If you're in a season of challenge and disappointment, lean into the promises of God and know that you are not alone. So on behalf of Prince, Nate and Lexi, Benjamin and Kirsten, and all the people who make Football Sunday possible every year, it's been an enormous blessing and my great pleasure to be with you today. Have a great day and enjoy the game.